Today, we are joined by attorney Larry Crane to discuss the very recent federal lawsuit he filed against the city of Franklin for violating the civil and constitutional rights of Franklin resident Joe Cochini. You may recall that Joe was wrongfully arrested last summer for bringing a Bible and engaging in peaceful dialogue with other citizens at the Franklin Pride Festival. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Okay, you got me so far. <laughs> Fly me to oh, okay. The moon. No, Buble. Let me no. But this isn't Buble. This is the original. This Frank is Sinatra. The ori- Frank Sinatra, yeah. Dude, that is, that, only. That is shockingly <laughs> close. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, bu- to me, that sounds like Buble. That's crazy. Yeah, so we go to a... I know ra- that's, that's almost like sacrilegious. I get, <laughs> I get what just happened, but that sounds like Buble to me. Because we go to original sources here. Okay. And Buble is more of a derivative source. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> so, um, obviously, Fly Me to the Moon, which uh, I sent to our producer because I'm going to talk about a different Frank. So this week, astronaut Frank Borman passed away. You remember Frank Borman? Or you remember that name? When I grew up, he was head of Eastern Airlines. So, Borman uh, was on Apollo 8, and he was the one that first, uh, with two other astronauts, James Lovell and William Anders, they circled the moon 10 times back in 1968. And what was most fascinating about that is while they're looking at the Earth from space, in a live telecast, they actually quoted from the book of Genesis. Wow. They said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth, and the Earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And Borman ended that broadcast by saying, And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Now, Gary, what do you think would happen? What do you think the chances of that happening today? And by the way, I don't mean the chances of a a Christmas moon flight, but a United States astronaut boldly and publicly giving glory mm. to God, right, on public television, pulling out his Bible and mm. quoting from the Bible. What do you think? An infinitesimally small chance of that ha- of that occurring. What What do you think might happen to... At the very least, of that being allowed to air, maybe. Yeah. So he'd be met with, like, scorn and ridicule, maybe some mischaracterization of Thomas Jefferson's... Uh, doctrine about separation of church and state, right? Anything they can do. Accusations of Christian nationalism. Yeah. Well, you know Alex de Tocqueville, right? French philosopher. So de Tocqueville said that it wasn't until he went into the churches of America. Democracy in America, right? 1835. Really really fat book. Mm -hmm. He spent um, two years traversing America and just kind of getting the feel for what is making America so unique. And he concluded that process by saying it wasn't until he went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness Mm -hmm. that he understood the secret of her genius and power. And he said, America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. great. So I think we need more astronauts like uh, Frank Borman. Um, But today, in fact, we're going to talk about something that happened right here in Franklin, Tennessee, And it wasn't about a gentleman who was even daring to read the Bible, but merely was carrying the scriptures into a public place, right? 
Yeah, well, sort of. I, and before we go any further, I, I just do want to take a moment to sincerely apologize to the Sinatra family and all the fans out there across America for mistaking <laughs> for that, ascribing that his voice to voice. Michael Bublé. Yes. On the other hand, my the Bublé fans would probably be delighted that you thought it was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Canadians would be in his corner. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, in the studio, good friend and longtime general counsel of Tennessee stands. Uh, Mr. Attorney Larry Crane here from Brentwood. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. Glad to be here. <clears throat> we fought a few fights together. Still fighting a few Still. fights together now. Sure. Uh, and but one of importance, you know, especially we've written about it a lot in Tennessee. It's gotten some press, and of course, being here in Williamson County, the story of Mr. Joe Caccini that was arrested. <laughs> Not there were there were some folks, Kevin, that were turned away actually at a at a bag check for for uh, trying to. Um, subversively bring their Bibles into a public space and were, were turned away uh, from having admittance into the Pride Festival here right. in Franklin. But Joe was uh, not only asked to leave, but arrested because he dared to, in some ways, some would say proselytize, right, his faith, but literally just having conversations about Jesus around the festival. He was evangelizing. He was in the public square in a public uh, space Wearing a shirt, something says like, uh, you know, Jesus changed my life, ask me about it, something like right, that. Right. And um, so, Larry, just have you here today because I, I'm excited because not only uh, was, of course, um, and correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, but the city of Franklin arrested him uh, upon the offense of a criminal trespass, shockingly almost moved forward with a prosecution uh, of that crime. But that criminal case was recently dismissed by a judge in Williamson County just a few days ago this week. Yeah, just the November 7th hearing. Uh, the, the surprising thing to me, I think, Gary, when I heard about this case for the first time is I thought, this can't be. This can't be. Uh, and so I, I call up the DA and I go and make an appointment to talk to him about the case. I said, surely you're going to drop this case. There's no crime here. Uh, what did this young man do? And he, in confidence, told me, uh, Mr. Crane, I can't dismiss the case because it is politically charged. I'm getting orders from upstairs that we're going to prosecute this case. I said, well, get ready. We're going to have a hearing. And um, so the hearing was uh, Tuesday, I think, of this week. I'm really impressed with Joe Caccini. He's a, he's a quiet, peaceful, humble man, uh, a, a very devoted Christian, part of a group of an evangel uh, evangelistic outreach called Nashville Evangelist. And... Which I wasn't completely aware of until I read the brief, and, and yeah. you put that in there. Yeah, yeah. he he um, he's made it. A, he's an eleven year veteran, uh, and now spends a lot of his time uh, hooking up with other men who are part of this group. They go to events around Middle Tennessee uh, and quietly share their faith and talk about Jesus and uh, hand out gospel tracts, and and um, so far had done so without incident. The officer who arrested him. Um, I got to cross-examine on the on the stand Tuesday of this week, and I thought was very forthright in his testimony. He said, "Mr. Crane, we we were instructed to carry out the uh, desires of of Franklin Pride. If they wanted someone gone just for the way they looked, we had to remove them. So what that means is Franklin Pride was imposing a kind of religious apartheid in this park. It's a city park with the full power." and enforcement ability of the city police department that was carrying out their wishes. And 
apparently uh, all it took in this case was for them to see his T-shirt and hear him talking about his faith uh, for them to say, we want him gone. Uh, and the officers charged this young man with a classy misdemeanor um, and handcuffed him in, in a public park and removed him on the pretense that somehow by renting or by getting a permit, Franklin Pride had transformed the city park into private property and could tell whomever they wanted to leave to leave. Mm-hmm. That's not the law, by the way. So <clears throat> what happened th- this week? This was when it was dismissed this week. Yeah. Judge Taylor dismissed it for, uh, we filed a motion to dismiss it and and he heard argument and said, Mr. Crane, I don't need to hear any more argument. (laughs) (laughs) There's no crime here. So why did it get that far? I believe truly that it was coming from up as high as perhaps even the mayor's office, but we know that was an issue brought up during the recent campaign. Uh, that he was questioned publicly about why Mr. Caccini was arrested on public property. Um, and the district attorney takes their walking orders, um, in this case, from the city of Franklin. Uh, and so while I think the DA, in, in all honesty, believed he did not have a case, mm-hmm. uh, he was being compelled himself to present it and I want to make absolutely certain that point is made crystal clear. You you have a a DA who is acknowledging himself there's no case here. Sort of I can't believe I'm being in a position to try this case. Uh acknowledges that he's under pressure because quote this case is politically charged and just to make sure folks are aware of where that politically charged nature comes from, you know, the Joe Caccini was arrested by the city of Franklin police under the direction of chief Deborah Faulkner, who reports to the mayor of Franklin. Sure. It, it is the mayor. It is the board of mayor and aldermen here in the city of Franklin that hire and fire, right? That's our correct. chief of police. That's correct. So this, I mean, essentially I just, I just want to make sure, sh- make sure folks understand like there is, there is nowhere else to point the finger on prosecuting a man for walking through a public park, telling people about Jesus other than, Directly to your city leadership here, that's Mayor Ken Moore and the board board of Mayor and Alderman, the Boma Board. I mean, th- ultimately, these people are in charge over the police department and over whether or not this case gets prosecuted. That's correct. I think a phone call from Ken Moore or perhaps even Shauna Hen- uh, Hensley Hennessy, uh, the city attorney, uh, would have would have done the trick. It would have dro- been dropped immediately. Um, there, there just simply was no probable cause, no offense. I went down the list of everything that, that was posted in the park that day, as far as rules and policies. And this officer on the stand said, no, he was very respectful to me. He didn't do anything wrong. I didn't see, observe him do anything disorderly. He was always Mm -hmm. peaceful. And, and so I said, well, why did, why did you arrest him? And he said, I was instructed to by the event coordinator. You know, that that reminds me of a lot when I went through my battle with the IRS, because when Lois Lerner came out and admitted that problem, the first, the first thing she said after the inspector general had come up with a report and she knew that she had been caught red handed, she tried to blame it on two rogue agents in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. But I had already had a conversation with one of those rogue agents. And he told me two years prior to Lois Lerner saying this, that he had been instructed from on high and was waiting for those instructions. So we have a very similar situation, not only of where those instructions come from, but trying to pass it off 
which I think is insulting, don't you, to the police officers for the city to let the police officers effectively take the fall for this. Yeah, no question. And I one thing I can't wrap my head around, like this little this this cute little detail, right? That the officer admits uh, in his testimony in court that that he had broken no rule or no law, right? Right. So so how do you arrest someone that does? How do you handcuff someone that doesn't break a law? Well, it takes an affidavit from someone who did observe him break the law, typically. The officer's acting on information in this case, but he didn't observe anything take place. Um, and, you know, had they been smart about it, uh, they would have had some event coordinator swear out the warrant mm-hmm. saying, I observed this man trying to force his religious views on people at our, you know, our booths, which didn't take place. But, you know, that's not to say. And still not a crime. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting case. The, the, the officer was briefed that morning by his superiors on two interesting points. One is that they told these, they, the um, superior officers, instructed their uh, officers, this is actually going to be treated as though the property is no longer public property. It's private property. Now, these are people who are supposed to know the law. Mm-hmm. And, and it just has never been the case that that city-owned property gets transformed into private property merely by the virtue of a permit, a parade permit or something of that nature. Uh, and so, uh, and secondly, that you are there to carry out the wishes of Franklin Pride. And, and if they think someone needs to go, um, you know, you're, you're to tell them to leave. I think this officer was genuinely surprised that Cuccini didn't leave voluntarily. Right. He had to handcuff him. It, it just stuns me that this agency was transferred to an organization that we're told publicly, right, all the time by the city and by the city's representatives that, well, they may not have wanted that to happen, but they had to let that happen. This, this All the time trying to pass the buck, and yet it looks like, as the facts come out, it looks like not only was that not just passing the buck and it wasn't somebody else's fault, but they were actively involved in this process. Well, I want to look at a few statements. I I don't know if if we stated this already. I can't recall in this podcast so far, but the the criminal charges were dismissed. But subsequently now, um, as of today, actually, which interestingly, I I hadn't, uh, by the way, I hadn't made this connection. I did know, but had forgotten that Joe was a veteran. You know, today's Veterans Day. That's correct. (laughs) So (laughs) great timing. How how appropriate to file an action in the court on behalf of a veteran on Veterans Day. But um, you you filed federal action today, Cochini versus City of Franklin, in in federal court, um, basically to hold the City of Franklin accountable for what's happened here. Yeah, I think the city the the buck stops there because they um, they are acting as um, uh, an arm of the state to, to enforce this criminal prosecution. And it not only violates uh, Joe's right under the First Amendment, his free speech right, uh, but it also violates his equal protection right. Um, he's being singled out and treated differently on the basis of his the content or viewpoint of his faith as a Christian. So, well, I want to pull out a few of those statements from the from the briefing that I have here in my hand. But one of them is is something we just said. I just wanted to state it the way you stated it in this briefing. It says the actions of the city of Franklin effectively. This is an incredible statement in my mind. City of Franklin effectively bestowed the full police power of the state on an independent actor, Franklin Pride, 
to carry out and enforce an arbitrary and discriminatory policy designed to punish individual free speech activity based solely on the content or viewpoint being expressed. That's an incredible statement that in this in this instance, the city of Franklin did just that. It bestowed police power on on an organization, on a nonprofit, on Franklin Pride that was given the ability to now enforceably direct police activities and arrest individuals on behalf of the state. That's yeah, incredible. It is incredible. The city police department was acting as a proxy for uh, an <laughs> ideological amazing. organization. It's truly amazing. I wonder I wonder if anyone in the state would ever give Tennessee stands police power. Do you think we would ever get police power, Kevin? I was thinking Do you the think same that thing. Would I was thinking the same thing and I was I was also thinking about the parallels. Hey, go arrest that guy. I don't like that guy. <laughs> when you talk about agency given to a private organization, although we haven't seen police power in particular, this is very similar to what's happening at the federal level with regard to censoring using digital platforms, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Facebook, the government doing things that they know they couldn't do directly to citizens, but they instead they they suggest what should be censored and asking private organizations to carry out acts against citizens with effectively the power of the federal government. Yeah. So I agree. I think it's a good analogy. But the, the interesting thing that took place on June 3rd here in Franklin is that Joe was not alone. Uh, Officer Spry testified on the stand that he had removed several individuals that day at the direction of this organization. And as, as Gary alluded to earlier, there were two very godly ladies who were turned away at the, at the very checkpoint merely because they had Bibles in their mm-hmm. purses, which were determined by that group to be, quote, dangerous materials. Okay? <laughs> dangerous materials. <laughs> not, not a knife. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible. Not even a firearm. But it is a knife. It's the sword of the Spirit, Gary. That's, That's true. Right. That's true. So I, I find this interesting. Um, you know, again, this, this whole idea, which the officer testified that he observed, and apparently through lack of an affidavit, no one else observed, you know, him – really disturbing the peace in any sort of way. And when the four officers approached him, he he was coincidentally in front of the booth uh, manned by the Glendale, I don't know if I should say man, am I offending someone? You know, I'm not sure if, if that's the case. So um, it was the Glendale United Methodist Church. And so as these officers approach Joe to arrest him or to ask him to leave initially, He's actually having a conversation with a church and someone who's who apparently is wearing a badge or something. She's she's the pastor of the church. So he's actually having a conversation with someone who considers themselves a pastor in the church right before he's arrested. And there's a sign on the booth. And you're going to love this, Kevin. Okay. There's a sign on the booth that says this as Joe is being arrested. This is the backdrop. Right. You are welcome here. No matter. <laughs> Where you have come from or where you are going, what you believe or what you may doubt, what you are feeling or just not feeling, what you have or don't have, and no matter the color of your skin, who you love or how you identify. That almost sounds like something from Dr. Seuss. I was expecting a little rhyme there. Isn't that incredible? But that's the backdrop as he's arrested. Oh, the irony. That's incredible. Um, Another thing that... Larry, I'd love for you to kind of speak to this. I want to talk about this a little bit because I thought this was a great point. Again, you're making the case of uh, this viewpoint discrimination that's taking place. And again, the fact that the pride organizers 
asked the police to remove Joe because, you know, what he was making people feel uncomfortable or, or probably on the basis that he was offending someone or whatever. And you have a, a statement in here from a, a court case uh, basically that avoiding offense to gay, lesbian, or transgender individuals is not an accept- is not an acceptable justification for religious viewpoint discrimination. And, and there's a slow statement in parentheses that I love. Giving offense is a viewpoint. Not only is it a viewpoint, it's the very purpose, we, many courts have said, of the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, um, you realize the Because height, you're not supposed yeah. to offend anyone anymore. Right, right. right. So, uh, yeah, the, the backdrop here is really interesting. Picture this. You've got a young man who's talking about the gospel to a pastor, and he's asking this pastor from this um, church that's obviously pro-gay and lesbian, could you share with me your understanding of the gospel? And he gets those words out just moments before four officers descend up on him. Uh, so he's, it's a classic quintessential case of religious expression mm-hmm. that he's being arrested for talking about the gospel unbelievable I, we, I interrupted you though you were you were going into this this court opining on on an offense of being a viewpoint I interrupted you yeah a, a lot of I get a lot of cases where my clients are accused of, of offensive speech I'm representing 12 police officers in Philadelphia right now who were fired because of their Facebook post because they were too conservative they were pro-trump um, and uh, so offensive speech, as I've argued there in, in, in Philadelphia, as I've argued uh, in other cases, you know, to me, the First Amendment serves its highest and best purpose when it protects speech that is offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is supposed to be. The gospel we were told in Scripture uh, will offend. The yep. cross has an offense to people. Uh, and so when people are, are prosecuted because of their Christian faith, um, you know, it— it, it, it's showing that uh, the the culture we're in today is is marginalizing that that type of expression. Uh, and if if speech punishing. if speech at times was not offensive, we would have no necessity for the First Amendment. Correct. We would also have no country. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So, Larry, tell us about the process. You file the lawsuit. Um, I always remind people that I'm. Although I'm a lawyer, I'm not a real lawyer. I'm just an entertainment lawyer. So, but walk us through the timeline of what you expect to happen, and how long does the city have to respond, and what do you, how do you think this is going to proceed? Sure, um, the the lawsuit will actually likely be served on uh, Monday or Tuesday of next week on the mayor of the city of Franklin. He will turn that over to the legal department, uh, who in turn will likely hire outside insurance counsel to defend the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, there are a handful of firms in the Nashville area that I've litigated against that would typically be uh, the defense of this case okay. because it'll... You know, the interesting thing here, though, if, if you read the permit that was granted to Franklin Pride, they contractually bound themselves to the city of Franklin to indemnify them against any lawsuit that arose out mm. of this Uh-oh. event. Uh oh! Please, so, please let's discuss this. This, yeah, a little bit more. Let's go deeper. So I'm, I'm kind of sniffing that there's going to be uh, another law firm involved in this mm-hmm. case uh, to defend Franklin Pride because they they are literally on the hook uh, for legal fees and potentially for damages in hmm. this case. Interesting. So, 
What is <laughs> sorry, I, Gary? Gary's had the opportunity to Love look that. at the complaint. What is the relief you are seeking for, Mr. Cochini? We're asking for declaratory relief, which is to declare that the actions of the city of Franklin were violating both the First Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment equal protection. We're also asking uh, that he be awarded nominal damages, which is an amount just to simply acknowledge that he he was damaged, right. and for compensatory damages. Uh, this young man was held in jail. He, he was required to post $500 bond. His wife, who was pregnant at the time, mm. had to drive down to the jail and bail her husband out mm. and then to face the humiliation of a, tri- of, a, yeah. of a criminal trial. And arrested on video that went out on the Daily Wire. Yeah, yeah. So is uh, there any punitive element or how, do you, how does the city keep from – how do we keep the city from doing this again? You can't obtain punitive damages against a municipality. Now, had we uh, had we sued the officers involved, um, yes, you could have gotten punitives there. We elected in this case not to do that for a number of reasons. I think these officers were just pawns of the city. Sounds like it. Uh, and they were just carrying out orders. Uh, so I don't think there was any bad faith necessarily on their part. Do you – just asking you, look into your crystal ball based on your years and decades of experience doing these things, do you think the city – A, has any legitimate defense, and do you think they'll put up a defense, or do you think they'll be try to actually— Well, it it relates to this question. If they they do put up a defense and the judge issues declaratory relief, um, is that—does that hold the same kind of precedent value as if it were a, you know, fully adjudicated case that, you know, had research and briefs and depositions and, like, all that kind of stuff, and the judge issues this opinion— or is it something to be so quick and maybe not have the same precedential value? Well, you know, it's, an, it's a very good question. The Board of Aldermen could today or as soon as they're served settle this case. Um, they have that authority. Uh, I, it is a, it's still a politically charged case. Mm-hmm. I don't expect that to happen. I expect they will put up a fight and um, that we'll get to the, those depositions and briefs. There at some point will be a motion filed, which I'm confident will prevail on. Uh, but – this case is one that could go to trial. Hmm. Uh, just because the, the city gets stubborn. its back up and says we're not going to settle it. It's been stubborn so far. So, so there is opportunity potentially for discovery where we get to see these communications that happen between possibly the mayor and the DA or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe firmly that someone called either the mayor's office or someone within his office uh, at the time before arresting Joe. To make sure that they truly were supposed to do that. I, see, that's they that's, got permission to do it. I probably. think so. That's why I would think, no matter how stubborn the city is, you wouldn't want that to come out in discovery. You would be, I would be urging the city, if I were their counsel, to settle, settle, settle. I want to ask, what do you think the ramifications are if we were to lose a case like this? And I'm asking it that way because you know, just this week there's this interview on Tucker Carlson. I forget his name, of this guy who just got sentenced to federal prison over a tweet. This Mm. is a a tweet, a tweet, He, of course, First Amendment case, a tweet he made in 2016 during the uh, Trump election. And it was a joke. It was a a meme uh, clowning uh, Hillary. And it said, text your vote to whatever, whatever, whatever to vote for Hillary. It was a joke. Mm -hmm. It went around, literally the guy made a tweet. Well, it 
no no harm, no foul, whatever. Nobody ever said anything about it. Years later, in January of 2021, seven days after Joe Biden was inaugurated, the FBI comes knocking on his door and arrests him. Years later, this is from 2016 to 2021. Unbelievable. The FBI arrests him um, for this tweet claiming, uh, well, they didn't tell him why they were arresting at the time, but the claim is uh, election interference. He interfered with the election. And of course, there's been speeches where um, this is being pushed by Hillary Clinton still. She She's talking about this case in speeches she's given and how she, how this man turned so many votes away from her because oh my gosh uh, and interestingly here <laughs> and in the interview what what I think is most interesting in the state's prosecution against this guy they they looked they spent money they spent months trying to find someone to put on the stand that had actually not gone vote and voted by text they 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 looked for someone that had been and they found no one so the, then, the state could not produce one individual, one vote that was changed from yet. Why did was, he lose the case? Yet, then? Uh, so I don't know the details. This is on Tucker this week. Yet he lost and he's going to prison over a tweet. So I'm just bringing that up because I think our First <clears throat> Amendment is in great peril. And so I'm just wondering about the ramifications, generally speaking, if we lose something like this on Mr. Cucini's behalf. I, I agree, Gary, wholeheartedly. These, And that is why I try and exercise discretion in which cases I take. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you lose one of these cases, you've lost for a cross-section of people that yeah. are similarly situated everywhere. And these cases are cropping up all over the country. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lawyer in Florida this week. Who has uh, who's getting ready to file suit down there? There's a case in uh, the one I mentioned in Pennsylvania. There's there are other cases. I've got another call from Giles County, from a Giles County Pride event, and and so what's happening is that these cases uh, are rallying points, mm-hmm. depending on which side you're on. And if if Joe were to lose this case, Franklin Pride would be all mm-hmm. over it. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about that before with regard to. Tennessee being looked at upon the rest of the country as the so-called buckle of the Bible belt. So strategically, they picked the state of Tennessee. They pick a, a, a county like Williamson. They pick Franklin because they want these things to happen here. If it can happen here, it really creates a wedge and it makes it much easier to happen in other jurisdictions. So the value of winning this is, as well as the danger of losing it, is critical, isn't it? It is critical because they're trying to, I mean, these groups like Franklin Pride, they want a place at the table, okay? They want to say, we're normal, we're like you. We're tolerant. You know, we we allow everyone of every uh, walk of life. Uh, they're welcome here, as Gary just read, this little sign from Glendale Methodist. And, and the irony is that, yes, you're welcome, so long as your viewpoint yeah, matches uh, is theirs. not Judeo-Christian um, sanctity of marriage yeah. uh, or, you know, human sexuality from a traditional standpoint. And and so I, I inserted the phrase religious apartheid in this, in this complaint we filed today for a reason. I think that is what is happening mm-hmm. in these cases because the, those of a Christian viewpoint are being carved out yep. and say and told that you do not have the right to practice uh, your First Amendment right. And Gary and I have talked about that a lot lately, about the responsibility of the church and how the church has sat idly by surrendering its authority, surrendering its duty, surrendering action, because they've lived under this belief that, A, 
We're back in the 1980s when the government was more friendly to religious liberty, when the government um, had was filled with uh, – the institutions were filled with more people who had in their own lives those values, and so they didn't, they didn't act upon what's being acted upon now. Well, now we've had a couple generations of Marxist training in the schools, and you see what's happening at Yale Law School. It, it really concerns me about all of the attorneys and judges from which we can even select – to fill the bench are coming from places like that, and their worldview is entirely opposite of what the American founding was. Exactly. Well, and to that point, like I'm kind of concerned about because I, I agree. I think you know I read the brief. I think this is as solid as an argument as you can make, and I don't think it, it's 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 hard it's hard to imagine honestly losing this case <laughs> in court. But I guess crazier things have happened. But um, it's hard to imagine. But when you use a phrase like viewpoint discrimination, you know, it's concerning what some of these judges' worldviews are and and how they will adjudicate something like viewpoint discrimination. For example, you know, this is, we're in a war right now. We're in, we're in ideological war. And this, this year, the state of Tennessee passed a law, uh, HB 9, if I recall, that bans sexually explicit performances in the presence of minors. And the point of the law, I think, essentially was to address all of these drag queen shows, these very sexualized shows that are happening. That happened, by the way, last year here at Franklin Pride, right, right here in Franklin, Tennessee, right. in the presence of minors. All of a sudden, we can, we can, you know, we can strip, uh, essentially almost, in the presence of minors, and that's normal. And so this law actually passed, uh, creates a criminal penalty um, for that, those kinds of activities. Well, this was taken to federal court in Eastern District, I believe, in in uh, in Memphis, out of Memphis, or where was Eastern yeah, Western, court in, in Western, ja- District. Western District in Jackson. <laughs> and uh, the judge overturned the law. Now, I believe this is going to get upheld; that the law will be upheld by the Sixth Circuit. I, I'm I have a great deal of confidence in that. But this judge. Uh, a Trump-appointed judge, by the that's way, right. Larry. That's right. I, I know. <laughs> Trump appoint- a Republican, supposedly Republican. Yeah, that's right. Struck down the law based on the First Amendment and using the argument of viewpoint discrimination, that the law discriminates against the viewpoint of the LGBT mm-hmm. community, disregarding the fact that what the law really did was address these kinds of activities in the presence of minors. The law only affects performances in the presence of minors if you're 18 if you have a, an event 18 or over and you're on some private property and you're charging admission do whatever the hell you want to do but you can't do it in front of minors and you sure can't do it in a public place in front of minors that's mm-hmm. what the law addressed it is yet this judge strikes down the law based on viewpoint discrimination and i don't even understand how you can come to that conclusion i don't either uh i read his opinion and i saw that he had enjoined uh the enforcement of the law now his his opinion is only directly binding within the western district in shelby county right. actually uh and so the the appeal is pending as you say to the sixth circuit in cincinnati ohio and we'll see what the, that three judge panel does with this i fully expect them to overturn it uh because there are overwhelming uh state interest considerations and the protection of minors here. And, and it's very interesting. When Franklin Pride sought access to the park, there were a great number of people that turned out in opposition yeah. before the Board of For Aldermen. two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and I even, they even asked me to write a brief, and I was happy to do so, arguing these points. But 
you know, they were relying already on this judge out of the Western District who had overturned that law. Or there would have been drag shows this this year because they they backed off at one point and and said that if we promise, you know, not not to do that this year. Hang on a second. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. So you're saying that the fact that <clears throat> the Franklin Pride Festival was approved this year by BOMA to take place, that part of their defense in approving it – was the fact that the judge had enjoined this current law out of the Western District? It absolutely was. It was wow. taken into consideration. Um, uh, the city attorney for the city of Franklin uh, wrote a countervailing brief to mine in which she argued vociferously for the rights of gay and lesbian groups. Uh, our the, city attorney. Our city attorney, Shauna Billingsley, is very pro-gay um, lesbian uh, events of this nature. And so it, she took a very uh, targeted point of view, uh, trying to, to argue against the brief that I had submitted. Hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting in all of this, I'll find, I mean, there's, I don't want to belabor the point, but the constitution protects speech, but it's specifically when, when you think about we're juxtaposing religious liberty versus, I guess, the right to be gay sort of. And when you think about that constitutionally, the Constitution, the First Amendment, explicitly protects religious speech, specifically. Not just any speech, but also specifically religious speech. And so, it's it's specifically placed in what amendment? The first. The First Amendment, right? The first clause of the First exactly, Amendment. Exactly. It's not down at the bottom. So obviously, it was important. So though. it's just interesting to me when you, when you think about this constitutional argument, viewpoint discrimination, and all these things, and you juxtapose someone's religious viewpoint versus, you know, a, a viewpoint of homosexuality in the context of public debate and the public square, that somehow on a discriminatory basis, the rights of a, of a homosexual would prevail. And, and actually, and actually to the point that the, the person espousing religious views is arrested in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. Well, look, Larry, I'm I'm thankful to have you on the show. I'm definitely thankful to have you in this fight and that that you took up this case. And um, you know, God willing, we'll uh, we'll prevail. Yeah, thanks Amen. for being on here, Larry. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure, and I, I hope to see you again. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. 